This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. Brought to you by our presenting sponsor, ZipRecruiter. You know it's not smart? Firing 81 threes on two home courts over the course of two game sevens and making 14 of them. Maybe start going to the basket more, Houston and Boston? I don't know. Call me crazy. You know what is smart? Hiring with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. So effective, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, Miller Lite. We have our disagreements here at The Ringer. There's no question. There is no debate about this one. Miller Lite is the great tasting light beer with only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs. That's fewer calories than half the carbs of Bud Light. There's nothing really more to talk about. If you have a real argument, let me hear it. There's a reason I've been drinking Miller Lite since I was in college all the way through Boston. Until then, stick with Miller Lite, for God's sakes. Miller Lite, hold true. Um, go check out TheRinger.com. We have a lot of good stuff there, including a big feature about Michelle Wolf by Allison Herman, all of our um, NBA playoff stuff after two ridiculous game sevens. Michael Bauman's A Brief History of Chewbacca. Uh, Killing Eve, Lindsay Zolads wrote about that. Roger Sherman wrote about the three-pointer, Betraying the Rockets, and a whole bunch more. Check that out. Speaking of The Ringer, we announced uh, on Tuesday, I'm taping this on uh, Tuesday late morning, and I think we're running it Tuesday night, but we announced on the uh, all over the place today our new show that we have developed with HBO that I am an executive producer of. It's called Courtside at the NBA Finals. It premieres on HBO on June 19th. And uh, it's basically the show that I've wanted to see for most of my life. The big picture parachute in on, uh, on what happened at the finals after the fact. I think what happens with the finals is it's all in the moment. What's this? What, what just happened? What's about to happen? And it's very trapped in the small picture minutia of what's going on in the finals. And yet you think of a show like, like the inside the NFL right after the Super Bowl when all the guys are mic'd and you get to hear what Belichick said to Brady and just all these, all these nuggets. And it kind of parachutes in a couple of days after the game. And it's like the last word on what happened with, you know, you get to relive it. You get to learn some stuff. That's what we're trying to do with this show. It just doesn't exist right now for the NBA, which has always been amazing to me because the NBA is now a 12 month year sport. And this is an idea that I had two years ago and have been pushing for really ever since. Like, why doesn't the show exist? I would watch the show. Where is it? So we're doing it and we're doing it with HBO. Um, who I saw firsthand with the Andre, the giant thing It's just when you, when you have a good project, they're the best at, at just delivering it, executing it, promoting it, the whole thing and very excited. So it's going to be June 19th, which game seven is two nights before if, if Cavs Warriors go seven, who the hell knows? But, um, and if it goes earlier, so be it. That's the day, June 19th. And it will be the show about the finals that you never realized you wanted this whole time. I think it's going to be good. I am excited. I am pretty confident about this one, that this can work. Anyway, that, uh, that got announced today. Thanks to everybody who helped with that. I am heading to the finals for this, for the whole time. So, um, excited for that too. Coming up, we're going to talk to house about the finals round three the caps, a whole bunch of other stuff. But first, Pearl Jam.
All right, Joe House on the line. He has not been on in a while. He's the host of House of Carbs on the Ringer Podcast Network, our phenomenal food show, as well as the Shack House with Jeff Shackelford, uh, U.S. Open coming up. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Capitals, who are in the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time since 1872. Um, but How first, dare you? But first, NBA. Let's talk NBA first. We had two Game 7s. Okay. The, the last time we had two Game 7s, here's how long it was. The Le Boulet were involved. The Bullets. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Bobby Dandridge. 1979. Yeah, Bobby Dandridge. The greatest moment of a guy that I put in my Hall of Fame pyramid in my book. I think I had him in the in the late 70s or, uh, as a ranking. Ralph Wiley's favorite player. He went toe-to-toe with the Iceman George Gervin in Game 7. And made the made the game winning shot with like ten seconds left. I think it's on YouTube, and it's one of the great moments in Bullets history. But that's how long it's been, House. You were like ten when that happened. Yeah, secretly the most important player on that team, a yeah. team with Elvin Hayes and Wes Unseld. Bobby D was the guy. Bobby D, if he played now, everybody would be writing about how completely underrated he is, and he would actually become a slightly bit overrated because we would just be bragging about Bobby D all the time. But he was awesome. That's exactly right. He was. He was that kind of player. So two game sevens and I called, I did a podcast with Hench yesterday and I called the Celtics game seven night of the living bricks. Never expecting that we would be filming a sequel the next night, night of the living bricks Two, <laughs> bigger and badder in Texas. I still feel like the Warriors were going to win regardless of how many threes the Rockets made. I just felt like the Warriors when they can, ratchet it up. There's just nobody that can hang within 15 points of them and a half if they really truly care. Am I wrong? Was there a point where the Rockets could have won this game if they had just made a couple more threes? I thought the last night was very much for the taking by Houston. I I thought Golden State's energy was so flat yeah. In, that, in that first half, and we've seen it before, and we know that they are a turn-it-on and flip-the-switch kind of team, but there was just so little urgency, and they seemed slightly confused. Their rotations were out of order in the first half, and I honestly think that the contagion for Houston, who, who makes threes in avalanches, if they could have continued to, to just hit a couple— At the very beginning, it isn't like the threes that they were taking at the beginning of the third quarter were bad shots. They were still shots that come out of their offense. That's the way their offense runs. It's It's what that offense produces. If they had just hit a couple... I think the whole thing could have been different. I, I mean, obviously, Harden got tired as things went on. Um, and, you know, they didn't really have a plan B because Chris Paul uh, is was their plan B and he was sitting on the bench. But I really, I, I thought Golden State looked uh, d- d- disjointed, uh, confused. They were missing energy. And they started to look a little nervous to me. I mean, the yeah. fouls on Clay at the very outset, that was an unexpected wrinkle. And I really felt like Golden State, uh, w- there was an opportunity there to dethrone um, those guys for free Houston if they could have just hit a couple buckets at the beginning of the third. I agree. The stars aligned for the Rockets, much like they aligned with the Celtics in the second quarter. And there was a moment, I feel like, in both of these games – I think the Celtics would have beaten the Cavs if they had just extended that lead from 12 to maybe like 17 in the second quarter, just because it was so hard for the Cavs to score. 
There was really right. no there was no path for them to get to 90 points. I didn't feel like even they scored 88 with Jeff Green having, you know, one of the best games of his life and they still didn't get to 90. And I the Celtics just needed to get to 90 and they were going to win, but they they went I think after they got to 35, they scored 42 points the rest of the game. With the Rockets, the only chance they really had is if that game hit some sort of a, a lead tipping point. And it almost happened. There was this little three, four minute stretch. I agree with you. The Warriors looked discombobulated. I was on a lot of what's going on with Durant texts. He didn't seem fully engaged. Curry was terrible in the first half. Draymond cannot make a three anymore. And there was this little window. He can't even shoot. I mean, his yeah. shooting form is is an abomination. It hurt my eyes. Yeah. And, you know, I've been waiting for teams to do this. It is funny as the playoffs go along. You you kind of saw the Cavs do this with uh, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart as this as that series went along, where it was like, if you're going to make these, God bless you. Jalen Brown took eight, eight threes in the first half of game seven. All of them were wide open. He made two. And it was clear that LeBron was just like, I'm not going to chase this dude around on picks on that. I got to save my energy for offense. So if he makes these... I'll change my strategy, but let's see him make five. And it did feel that way with, with the Warriors game. Like by the end of it, it was Draymond was wide open by 10 feet all the time. Everybody else was being swarmed. And from a chemistry standpoint, this, this team has been so up and down, this Warriors team. In the, in the second half, all of a sudden it was like they were fighting and they were, all, they were hugging each other and slapping each other's ass and all this stuff. And I didn't feel it in the first half. I was starting to get ideas like, wow, is this how they're just, they're just kind of broken. They're tired. They just want the season to end. What's going on here? So you felt it too. I just thought it was nerves, to be honest. I, I thought uh, Durant, because of, you know, um, what for him were substandard Durant games, the two previous games, there was, it looked to me like there was just the slightest si sort of uh, uh, lack of confidence. It was kind yeah. of a confidence thing, like his eyes, you know what I mean? His eyes didn't really get the fire until he made a couple, I felt like halfway through the third quarter, and then he was on fire in, in the fourth quarter. A couple of those post-ups from the wing, oh my you know, God. those 18 foot jumpers um, that only he, you know, there's a time in, in in Dirk Nowitzki's life, when Dirk would knock those down too, you know, in in those big moments, um, he's the only guy I can think of who can just you know shoot straight up over somebody the way that KD uh, does. But um, that move yeah, he, he has, he got, that move he has, where he goes, he's on the like the left high block, and he takes a couple hard dribbles left, almost like he's going to dribble out of bounds, and yeah. then he does that like 14 foot fall away away from the rim is one of the most unstoppable shots in the history of basketball. I mean, usually, it, how, it are you, how are you going to block that? Iconic shots. It really yeah, is. Never can be blocked. And then the other thing, and I don't feel like LeBron has always had this shot, but LeBron has kind of a similar shot, but he jumps off one foot and banks it. He, yes. he, he takes the same hard dribble, like he's going to go out of bounds, going to the left side of the basket, and then jumps kind of to the side and does this, one-handed kind of fast speed runner and banks it in every time. It's like, where did he get this shot? I didn't never seen him do this shot until like the last two years, basically. But uh, I, I totally agree. It's, and, then, and it looks like he's shooting off the wrong foot because he gets rid of it so quickly. It's a quick release shot too. Yeah. He's developed 
two shots that we've never really seen before, which is that shot. Um, he has the MJ fall away now, which he would always try to shoot, but I never felt like he made the consistency of it. So I don't want to say he added that, but he's just better at it. But then the other one is this weird bully ball, reverse dribble, back and forth, slow down, post-up thing that he does that he started doing in game five of the finals last year and now has kind of perfected that. And it it's either an offensive foul every time or it's never an offensive foul. I don't know how you call it, but he just kind of, kind of gets to the rim and knocks guys over and scores. And what is that? It was, it was like how we never knew how to officiate Shaq all those years. What, what, Oh, it's a thing that a lot of, a lot of his detractors have been begging for him to, to incorporate that move into his repertoire. And he's finally at the, like the level of maturity and experience and, and honestly out of necessity because of what he's surrounded by Yeah, that, uh, he, he has to have a go-to shot that he himself is relatively sure that is a, you know, he's going to make it with like 60 to 70% consistency. And it's, that, that seems to be that shot, right? Yeah. So the Rockets, the other one they have that is relatively new was that crazy play they were running where Curry would dribble underneath the basket and start going to the corner like it, the play didn't work and he would dish it off to like Jordan Bell, but then quickly cut behind him and get the pass back for the quarter three. Yeah, That yep. was like, what the hell? Like if you showed that to me 20 years ago, I would be like, wow, what is that? That's basketball. Is that how they play it in the future? Um, Curry <laughs> was great. He was awful in the first half, great in the second half. Yeah, he was great when he was great and he was bad when he was bad. What's interesting is they were able to come back without Clay, which I still feel like is the move for them this summer. Is the, I don't see how they keep this going with the four guys and just a bunch of below average guys and Andre. Why? Vidala. What are you talking about? I don't. I don't think it's sustainable. I don't. I think they barely made it through these three rounds, and I'm not even really sure why. Like. The Houston thing, it shouldn't have taken the Chris Paul injury to beat Houston. They have more talent than Houston. I, how are they even sweating that series out? I don't. I still don't totally understand it. That series was done. I, I, you had Kerr on uh, earlier this season. It's, yeah. it's really, really, really hard to to repeat and keep the guys engaged. And I think we watched it. It was hard, you know, over the course of the season. You know, when we sat down together in October, it was the first week of October, two thousand. And 17, we're doing our over-unders. We, we look at, at how the um, Golden State Warriors are composed and say there's no way that team can lose 15 games this season. We can't talk ourselves into 15 losses. Yeah. And they, they ended up, you know, being a team that played hard like 85% of the time or so, right? Like Maybe 75. They took their foot off the pedal a bunch of times. They rested a bunch of times. It's... Maybe it's just the way the NBA is now. JJ said on my podcast last week that it's so much harder to play basketball now than it was to play it 10 years ago. Because I this is something I felt pretty strongly about. But it was good to hear a player say it who does a lot of running, who's just like, it's just harder now. And uh, and maybe that's part of it. But I do think the difference with the, their four-year finals run um, and all the other ones basically is their best four guys are are pretty healthy right now. You know, I think when you look at some of the other ones, there's just been really bad injury luck. They had some bad injury luck. Like obviously Curry missed the first 
what round and two round, maybe first two rounds or whatever, whatever he ended up missing. But it wasn't poorly timed injury luck, like what happened to Houston. Like I, if you're going to do the what ifs from this series, what if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt in game five, which actually gets extended to what if, uh, what was that crazy call? The inadvertent whistle. If that, if that inadvertent whistle doesn't happen, Harden's called for traveling. Golden state gets the ball. Instead, there's an inadvertent whistle. Houston misses. It comes back down. Quinn cook misses the wide open three that blows the game for them. And then Chris Paul gets hurt in the next play. So the inadvertent whistle is, is almost like you could do a documentary about it. But <laughs> to lose him and Maba Mute. So if you told me, what if I told you everyone's healthy for this series? They have Chris Paul and they have the healthy Maba Mute from the regular season. And Golden State gets Iguodala the whole time. Who wins? Golden State. Yeah, that's how I feel too. <laughs> I still feel but like Golden State could just we, it's like that, like those desserts that we love where you where your favorite dessert as you've discussed on House of Carbs many times is the dessert where you're digging and then it's like there's a little treasure on the bottom like yes, you have the cobbler part of why and it, I love the bread pudding yeah the bread pudding and it's like oh they put rice pudding on the bottom of this I didn't and you're just digging underneath yeah. it and it's like buried there's treasure a chocolate shell yeah on the side, bottom of the bowl come on daddy that's the Warriors they they always can dig a little bit deeper and it's like, hey, did did you know there's rice pudding under here? And that was what happened in the second half. I always feel like they just have that side. So you're watching. Well, Chris them and said it. And this the the point is the talent. They have more talent. They're they're more talented, especially I mean, with, with Paul and and, and Babute on the floor, then then it's a little bit more even, but it's it's still the case. They have the talent. The talent wins. The thing is, though, you still need a couple guys to do a couple things that aren't in your top four. And it's really hard over the course of NBA history. It's really hard to win a title unless basically your fifth through ninth guys, you get something from somebody in a couple of the games. And what was interesting about this series, that didn't happen. I don't, can you think of anybody? I guess Livingston had maybe a couple half decent moments. Jordan Bell had eh. a couple half decent moments, eh. but it just was really below average play, which speaks to those four guys that, and especially last night where Draymond can't make a shot and Clay's in foul trouble the whole game, and yet they were able to get Durant and uh, and Curry going. And you know, those are two of the top twenty five guys of all time now. And they that's right. got going in the same game and and that's it. Um, it does seem like their ceiling is still about as high as any team we've seen. The question is, they <laughs> don't want to so. work. I would say so. They just don't want to put in the work. You know? Who does? It's like the Warriors. They're begrudgingly, all right, oh, okay, here's our A game. <laughs> that's I don't know. You disagree I, with that? They, it's not, I think I it's think a zigzag team. It's like they play awesome for one game. Like they played awesome in game three. And then you and Sal and I were texting the next day, like, should we take the Rockets in game four? The Warriors, and I ended up, I think I bet on the Rockets. But it was like the classic, oh, the Warriors proved yet again they're awesome. So they're going to let up for this game four, which is how it played out. They still haven't solved that part of their greatness. You know what I mean? Sure, that 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 that's fair. Um, I think they were genuinely surprised by how Game Five went. I think they were. That was the thing that caught their attention. Game four or Game Five? 
the fourth quarter of, of game five, I thought. Yeah. They should have won game five. I agree. I thought the Rockets should have won five, game one. four. And I thought the Rockets just fought and clawed and did everything you need to do to extend the series. And at that point, I think, weren't the Rockets like nine to one underdogs? Something like that? I don't remember. These We were tracking it. These last two rounds. Breathlessly. Yeah, these last two rounds have had more gambling swings than anything I can ever remember. It's I know. Just, I spent a lot all of money on hedges. Yeah. So, I want to talk about that after the break. Um, <laughs> Durant and Curry together. Did you feel like that second half was the first time that they were able to really properly calibrate that? So it was like, these are our best two, best two guys. We're playing off both of them. They're both involved. And this is our ceiling because it always seemed like over the course of the season, they never could really decide whose team it was. And it was like either Durant would have an awesome game or Curry would have an awesome game, but they could never combine it. And then last night it was like, did they just blended it together like a nice little cobbler? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I love it when you put it in food terms. Yeah. I thought uh, in game one, they were, they were pretty good about that. Uh, but, but last night it was, was the highest example because of, of the pressure and the situation and, and them, you know, having the reps um, to be under that in, in el- the elimination game mode uh, and, and able to, you know, rise above even after a crappy first half Um and the, the interesting thing was there were a couple moments where I thought we were going to get the Durant where he was he was posting and they were going to start feeding him in the post. And I'm very, very glad that they didn't go in that direction. Uh, I think they learned the lesson the hard way about, you know, trying something that's sort of out of not not uh, uh, an elemental part of their playbook. Um, but, I you know, that was a very uh, high example of the complementariness of those two. You had the mid-range and the three, and that's the difference between, um, you know, the Rockets and, 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 and the Warriors for last night's game. The one thing that I was uh, surprised Houston didn't try more, it looked like Eric Gordon could get to the rim yeah. unabated yes. and get either fouled or or get, you know, layups. And what, my, my question is, where was Harden on that? Why was Harden a decoy that created the room for Gordon to get in there? And that's why Harden wasn't doing it also. But like that's Harden's supposed to be the remedy to when the threes aren't falling. He's supposed to be getting to the basket and getting to the free throw line. I think that their attitude was we've made threes all year. They're going to start going in. And it was very similar to what befell my beloved Boston Celtics. Because I felt like Jason Tatum could get to the rim anytime he wanted to. And there were other moments where they just jacked threes over going to the rim. And and um, it was the same thing. Like, these have gone in all year. Why wouldn't they go in now? And it's like, yeah, because it, it's game well, seven and everyone's tired yeah. and there's a ton of pressure. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Take that for data. Yeah. That's what I wanted to... That was my 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 sentiment uh, after watching both of those teams with that that lived on a high quotient of of threes over the course of the season. Game seven ain't the rest of the season, bros. I mean that that's that's the that's the takeaway that the two teams combined for fourteen of eighty three. That's seventeen percent, according to my calculator. Take mm. that for data. Yeah, it's rough. I I think. I think those teams are going to take shit and that whole three-point revolution is going to take shit all summer. 
I, I don't know where I stand on it because I watched the Celtics make game seven in the finals with the exact same strategy. I, I think if I have a regret, it's that they didn't audible a little bit in game seven. You know my theory. We've talked about it a million times. Do what the other team doesn't want you to do. And it just seemed like every time Tatum had the ball, Cleveland was doubling him or scrambling or just trying to figure out what to do. And we didn't have any better other matchup like that. And with Golden State in Houston, like every time Gordon went to the basket, it just seemed like a good idea. It's, he's such yeah. a punishing. Good things were happening. Player. Hold on. Let's take a break. Uh, break. Let's talk about our old friend Stamps.com, the U.S. Postal Service, an important tool for any business reaching every household every day. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Buy and print official U.S. postage with your own computer and printer. They even send you a digital scale that automatically calculates exact postage postage discounts you cannot get at the post office. It's postal service right at your fingertips. Any letter, any package, any class of mail, and you're in control of all of it. You know why I love stamps.com? I like handing my outgoing mail and packages right to my mail lady instead of getting into my car and driving to go mail something. Be like me. Use the code BS for this special offer right before Father's Day, up to $55 free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. All you have to do is go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BS. That is stamps.com, enter BS, sign up before Father's Day. Do it right now. A couple of leftover thoughts on Warriors Rockets. I was... You know, I, w- I was a longtime Eric Gordon guy because I was going to those Clipper games the first couple of years. And I wrote about him a couple of times. I never wrote a whole column about him, but I put him in trade value and stuff like that. I always felt the thing I really liked about him as a player was I felt like the the bigger the stage or the or the light or the microscope, the better he played. And there was specifically like the Clippers were awful the end of last decade and you know, heading into this decade, they had Blake, then Blake got hurt. And it was a pretty bleak situation. But there were these times when they would play the Lakers and the and it would be the one good home game or the two good home games they would have where it was like, oh, the Lakers are in town. Or they'd play the Cavaliers the one time LeBron came or whatever. And Gordon just kind of rose to the occasion. He would go head to head with Kobe. And, and I remember writing a little piece in one of the pieces about this guy's got something, man. He was not afraid to go at Kobe. And then, you know, he gets traded, ends up in this weird situation with New Orleans, couldn't stay healthy. And right. Houston kind of stole him um, for $15 million a year, I think for three years maybe. And when you think about it, like this was the summer of 2016. Everyone's throwing away money like crazy. Courtney Lee went for basically the same price in an extra year to the Knicks, to put it in perspective. This was the Mozgov dang, all these dudes. And- uh hit me. My point is, House, Eric Gordon would have been on my team. If I if I was one of the 30 GMs and I had a, I had a contender, yeah. I would have been like, we need this guy. This guy shows up when it matters, when it shows up in big games. I don't know if he totally showed up like in a execution way last night, but the competitive spirit he had the last four games, I really felt like he belonged with all of those best guys. I think he was... In a weird way, the biggest winner of the series, right? When it when it was oh, anyone having an Eric Gordon conversation, I left that series okay. going. That's a real guy. Like if they somehow yeah. figure out a way to get LeBron, which is what we're going to talk about right now, um, oh, no. and you put LeBron, Harden, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, I don't even care who the. That, that's really the only way to go. Um, am I overrating Eric Gordon? 
No, no. He he was exceptionally tough. We have recency bias because it's been 12 hours since we watched him put on a really impressive display of toughness. But that's the thing that you're looking for in a game seven. Yeah. Who's of who's gonna who's up for the moment? Who wants to be in there? Who's going to the hole to help his team? Who's who's trying to, you know, create opportunities for his team to stay in the game? Eric Gordon hit all those marks, and and that's why we have a good taste in our mouth with Eric Gordon. He's Makes fighting and clawing and this is why I love PJ Tucker last summer. And I, I still don't fully understand why Toronto punted on him and paid three times as much for Ibaka, whatever they end up paying him. PJ Tucker was always one of these guys. And you could see it on the, on, if you had league pass and you watch these shitty teams and, uh, and there's PJ Tucker, like clotheslining people and, you know, scrapping and fighting. I thought he was, how many fouls do you think he actually committed yesterday? Like 17? Yeah, he, he, you you beat me. I was gonna say sixteen. He he was a wrecking ball last night and was boxing out bigger dudes. And I I loved how he played. So if you have him and you have Gordon and you have Harden and you have Chris Paul, now how do you get LeBron? So I did some research on this. <laughs> Why? Why did you do it? Um, because it's a sexy podcast topic, House. It's sexy. We're gonna, we're gonna Your do podcasts it. are nothing if not sexy. We're doing a sexy breakout of this on Twitter where we'll be like, could LeBron go? And there'll be big headlines. It'll be awesome. There's a sexiness to this topic. But All um, right. here's how they get LeBron. Ryan Anderson is due $41 million the next two years. You can stretch him out and he would count for $8 million a year for the next five years instead of 20 they for need the to next do that e- Either way. Well, you don't necessarily, you don't do that unless you have to, because he's actually valuable as an expiring contract the year after year three. So you don't do that unless you know you're getting LeBron. Okay. They have James Harden, who makes 30. They have Gordon, who I think makes 15. They have PJ Tucker, who makes eight. I think it all adds up, like, even if you count the Ryan Anderson stretch thing, it adds up to like somewhere around 64, 65 million. Um, which I think I did my math correctly on that. The salary cap's going to be around 101 million, they think. Now, that might okay. go up a tiny bit based on um it might go up a tiny bit based on whatever. Um maybe maybe they miscounted the streaming numbers, maybe they miscounted the finals, right? The hudos. But it'll be around 101, maybe it sneaks up to 103, something like that. So yeah. they'll have two game sevens should help. Two game sevens might help, who knows? I don't, I don't, I never understand how it works. Now the cap goes up. So let's say right. they have $38 million to play with. Now they're in Texas. So there's no, there's no state income tax. So that helps a little too. So guys can take a little less. LeBron gets swept by the Warriors. Right. Okay. He gets his ass kicked or he loses in five, whatever the case. It's like, wow, nobody's ever beating the Warriors. I want to win more titles. What do I do? So at that point, the narrative, he has two narratives. He can either stay in Cleveland, just be loyal, or actually three narratives. Stay in Ohio, be loyal to Ohio for life, which cannot be ruled out. Um, and have the attitude of wherever I play, I, I'm I'm a contender every year. It doesn't matter where I play. I don't I don't need to chase a title. I'm the title. Like he could have that attitude. That's one way to go. Second way it's a reasonable is, attitude. Second way is the way that um we had discussed on this podcast for the last 12 months, which is he's a guy who loves narratives. He looks at Los Angeles. This is the last chapter of my career. 
I want to be the first billion dollar basketball player. I want to own a team someday. I want to be the the media mogul that Magic Johnson is multiplied by five. I need to go to the Lakers. I want to play for the league's signature team and learn everything I can from Magic Johnson and live on the West Coast. And this is the start of the next phase of my life. That's narrative number two. Narrative number three is I want to beat the Warriors. I want to play with my friends. I'm going to Houston. And I'm doing it with Chris Paul and James Harden and Eric Gordon. And we'll get Carmelo in a year. And the only way to beat a super team is to form another Super Bowl team. It's like the old Corolla bit. The only way to catch a serial killer is to become a serial killer. Um, <laughs> it's the same, it's the same mentality. And he goes to Houston. I think this is more conceivable, in my opinion, than him going to Philly. Because I don't know if I'm guaranteed a title if I'm him, if I'm going to Philly. I don't know what the fit is with Simmons and Embiid. Who the hell knows? And there was a while where I thought maybe Philly would be the move from a talent standpoint. But after watching that series and seeing how close Houston was, it actually seems like Houston is the safer bet. So out of those three narratives, what do you think, House? I think he stays in Cleveland. Okay. And the the reason I think that is because I I think he recognizes that over the course that he's he's played 100 games or 101 games now. Yeah. Right. And he's going to play at least four more. It's a it's a f ton of games. It's a lot easier when you have an f ton of games in front of you as as October rolls around and the season starts now 2 weeks earlier than it did previously. When you're sizing up that schedule, you want a lot of nights with Orlando. You want a lot of nights with, uh, you know, um, uh, Atlanta. Yeah. You want a lot of nights with Brooklyn. You want a you want a lot of nights with the Knicks, right? You don't you don't want to have to go into San Antonio, where even no matter where San Antonio is, kind of talent wise, it's always a tough game. It's always a tough place to play. You don't. You're not. It's not fun to go into Utah. Those those fans are nuts. Yeah. It's not fun to go. You know, up to Golden State and Warriors. Warriors. S a D. He doesn't need that. If he's got 105 games, the way that he's looking at it, the Eastern Conference is the way. And now these consecutive finals appearances have are a thing unto themselves. They're really legacy defining. Yep. I think a ninth appearance in the finals uh, consecutive next season, that counsels in favor of staying East. And I think Cleveland is as good a situation as anything else that exists in the East. These are great points. And you left out um, the most crucial point of all, which is like he has unanimous approval in Cleveland in a really profound way that is unusual in sports where we've seen they're his people, they're his people. And we've seen it. It's, it's something that goes with a lot of the greatest players, right? Like um, you saw with bird in Boston, you saw with magic and Kobe in Los Angeles. You never really saw it with Shaq. And I think that's like one of the regrets probably of his career is that, yeah, he belongs to Lakers, but he also left and he went to played up for all these other teams. Same thing for Kareem. I think he belongs to the Lakers the most, but also had, seven great years with Milwaukee and stuff like that. Oscar Robertson doesn't even have a franchise. His franchise moved, I think, two or three times after. Uh, Duncan in San Antonio, I think, is a great example. But you go through, and it's uh, Hakeem in Houston's another one. Um, You go through, and it's just hard to find guys who 
every time for the rest of their life, they, they go to a city, they're the most important thing that happened in that city. And he has that combined with, um, as Titus wrote, just he's probably the most famous person from Ohio ever and the most meaningful. And uh, and also there's, you know, as bad as this this team was, and I still cannot believe, this really might be the worst finals team we've ever seen. 07 was really bad too. I'd have to, I haven't really gone through and crunched who was worse, but it's got to be up there. When you're relying on Jeff Green to win a game seven on the road, like that's got to be the worst finals team. Um, but there's ways for them to get better this summer. You know, of course they have the of eighth, course. they have the eighth pick, which they could definitely turn into something. They have, right. uh, they have Jordan Clarkson who eh, he has two years left. That's not great. George Hill's an expiring next year. JR's an expiring next year. Oh, maybe he's got two years left too. The George Hill contract, they can get out of after a year. They, my point is they have, they have at least a little flexibility. They could always play the Kevin Love card. Um, there's ways for them to improve the people around him with that eighth pick. Now, I agree. Could they have gotten more for Kyrie? Of course. But I let me flip this around on you though. Is the prospect of the Celtics with Hayward and Kyrie coming back next year on top of all the people they have? Maybe, maybe this little nice run he's had in the East might be coming to an end soon between that and Philly. Like from a talent standpoint, he's looking at the most talent he's ever had to go through. And then on top of it, you have Giannis with a real coach in Milwaukee potentially for the first time and whatever they're going to do this summer. I, I've I've heard the narrative that, oh, well, you know, who did he have to play in the East? Who did he have to go through? Which is horseshit because there should be no way to to disparage eight straight finals. I think it's one of the most incredible achievements in the history of the league to have... I saw some stat. It was like most finals appearances and it was Celtics, Lakers and somebody else. Then LeBron was fourth just as his own human being. <laughs> versus, right, right. Of course. Versus all the other actual franchises. I thought that was amazing. Um, but it's going to be tougher. And the one thing you want to, you could, you could say, and it's, again, it's not a criticism, but during those eight years, who was like the greatest guy that he went against in the East? For whatever reason, just by just by some fluke, the the top six, seven guys every year were in the other conference except for him. And this is now the first time he's looking at a situation where he's gonna be have to have to go against A listers in multiple rounds, right? But you think about it, who go through those eight years, who is the best player he had to go toe to toe with in a series? Dating back I, I, to two thousand eleven. Like Pierce. Yeah, it'd be 2012 Paul Pierce. Or That's the best I can come up with. 2013 Paul George. Yeah. Or, yeah, you know, right. I, I don't want to I don't want to be disrespectful to Paul George because before he he blew out his knee. I'm just laying out the landscapes like DeRozan, Lowry. He's never had to like have the duel against blank. It's never happened. Jason Tatum. Even the moments when he kind of went toe to toe with him, it's like it's it's a rarity. And I think it, my point is that's going to change now in the East because you have Embiid and Simmons on one team, you have Giannis on the Bucks, and you have everything the Celtics have. It's just from a talent standpoint, the East is is now ebbing. I think it was flowing for a long time there. Not to mention your Wizards house. Mm. Yeah, I just I, I was trying to be nice. I was trying to be nice. I was trying to be pleasant. 
Um, so yeah, so I guess it, I guess it comes down to what, what matters to him. What matter, what matters first? Is it, what's the narrative for the rest of my career? I just want to win titles or some combination of being competitive and still meaning something to a city that reveres him. And I don't know. The thing, the thing with him, he he could just sign another one year deal. There's absolutely nothing that that requires him to go lock into anything. Just sign another one year deal in Cleveland. That's what I think he's going to do, and I think that's the most likely thing. Well, that's boring. That's not sexy house. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Where I'm was sorry. the sexy in that? There, not none, none. I mean, the only the, all of the sexy I can come up with is Boogie coming to my chocolate city here in the DMV. Boogie and Wall. That's the that's that's my get down sexy. Can that happen? Uh, it has to be um, Otto Porter has to be part of it. Otto Porter has to go. So you're saying you're driving to the airport? Are you kidding me? Who oh, would I put Otto Porter in the passenger seat and drive him to the to the first flight to to New Orleans? Would put his bags in your truck and New make Orleans. sure he got there. No, I wouldn't have to do that. But I mean, I would drive him to New Orleans, and then I would have some crawfish with him to to tell show him how much I appreciate his contribution to the building of the team. And I would get Boogie, and I would let him sit in my lap if he wanted to, all the way back to Washington. Uh, <laughs> hold on, we're taking a break, and coming up. I'm going to read you some Skip Bayless tweets from from the uh, from the from the playoffs. You ready? Here we go. Hey, if you're like me and you're not so great at planning ahead, once again, yet again, I have good news for you. Our friends at Hotel Tonight have an awesome app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. You can book next week tonight. You can book next month tonight. You can book tomorrow tonight. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. No long, endless lists of a zillion hotel choices. Hotel Tonight only shows you the best deals in the best hotels. Perfect whether you're a planner or you like to leave things to the very last minute. I almost used Hotel Tonight last weekend for a soccer tournament. I had it on my app. I was checking prices. Ended up not having to stay over in the city my daughter was playing in. But it was in my life. And as usual, it was a great experience. Hotel Tonight's HT Perks program really allows you, the more you you book, the better the deals get. And unlike other loyalty programs where you're trapped in a staying at boring chain hotels, um, Hotel Tonight's not like that. Start scoring amazing deals and incredible hotels. All you have to do is download the hotel app tonight, right now. All right, we're back. Some classic Skip Bayless tweets last night. It's really performance art at this point. I feel the same way. Like, you know, Maple Thorpe had his run in the 80s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the comparison yeah that's the skip bayless comparison yes okay exactly. i'm on board i'm Tr- there with you um trent reznor i think you know like sure. uh marilyn manson skip bayless last night he tweeted right after the rackets game this is great i mean this is really like i don't know what maple thorpe's best photo ever was but this is really as good just just these eight words James Harden is made only for the regular season. It's just great. It's it's really what it's it's his version of Nine Inch Nails is closer. How do you top that? How do you top that as an eight word tweet? You can't. It's incredible. Can't. It's incredible. Yeah. It's it's just designed to enrage and anger, but there's like just this little kernel of truth in it that's a good argument for the next day. It's incredible. Just incredible. Very not, good at what he does. That's Skip Bayless. 
I'm not positive he's wrong. <laughs> I, I, I am not prepared to uh, put uh, uh, last night's no, I failing on I hard. All right. I, listen. You're laughing. Okay, you're laughing. I'm glad. I'm laughing. But. <laughs> uh, you got to make the finals once. You got to make the finals once. If you're an That's all- a great segue to my guy. Who's your guy? Alex Ovechkin. Yeah. Got to make the finals once. All right, hold that thought. Um, I'm held. I'm held. I'm holding. So the Iceman, George Gervin. Yeah. Who I think I ranked somewhere in the early 30s in my book, who had a phenomenal career and who was the best offensive two guard there for a solid decade during a really talent heavy time for the week and took San Antonio to the brink a bunch of times. The closest being Washington game uh, up 3-1 in the 79 conference finals. I forget. The conferences were weird. They might have even been in the East. San Antonio was in the East for some reason that year. They were in the East. Yeah. When, when the Bullets beat them. So you're down 3-1 and you have the best scoring two guard from, from that generation basically. All he has to do is close the door once and can't do it. Puts up 44, I think, in game four. But I've seen the tape of that game and I wrote about it in my book in the last six minutes kind of got shut down and the ease that he could score game to game, what made him awesome when the defense really went up to a quadruple level and he had to now find this inner, this last piece of himself, couldn't find it that one year. Doesn't mean he wasn't one of the best 32, 33 players ever, but he never had that moment. And it's always a question with this stuff. How much do you blame the guy? How much do you blame the team? All that stuff. And the way to answer it is to do what Dirk did in 2011, where you're like, fuck everybody, I'm winning the title, and you do it. And George Gervin never played in the finals, which was a really, really important you know, NBA outcome because you were there and I was there. We were kids. How the fuck did we watch the NBA in 1979? Either somebody came to see us or we saw CBS. All right. Well, yeah, oh, well, there, right. there must have been games on CBS all the time. There weren't. It was not even every week on CBS. I think there was one year where I think they ran like four or six regular season games and that was it. They taped delayed playoff games. They didn't show some playoff games. We, you and I combined probably saw George Gervin play. I'm going to say, and I had season tickets through my dad. I probably saw him three times in person during his peak. Right. And maybe another yeah. 12 times on TV. I saw TV. him once in person. Yeah. We had we just had no idea. And if he'd made the finals, and I think he would have won the finals that year, Um, everything about how we talk about George Gervin is different. And I, do, I just wonder 40 years later if this is the scenario Harden's in, where he's an incredible player. He's going to win the MVP. He's been a top three MVP candidate, I think, three times. But- when you don't have that last piece, it's tough. It's just, it's it's always it's always going to get brought up. John Elway wins the Super Bowl, nobody brings it up anymore. Dirk wins the finals, nobody brings that up anymore. And and unfortunately, that's how sports works. Um, the whole no, it's thing too about early, we don't we don't have to talk about Harden yet. Yeah, the James Harden is made only for the regular season is ridiculous because he's it's awesome. Skip Bayless. He's it's one of the wonderful. best four players in the league. That, but. Uh, there's no way to prove him wrong until you succeed in the finals with James Harden. Yeah, sure. So I don't know. It's 
I will say the thing I, the thing that would worry me if I was Houston with James Harden is Golden State went into that series with the legitimate strategy of make James Harden waste time dribbling, make him pound the ball, make him monopolize the ball, make everyone else stand around and just tire him out by dribbling. I agree. I, I disagree with that James Harden is made for the regular season because that's ludicrous for a number of reasons. But the offense that they were playing I think is better suited for the regular season than the playoffs. I think you have to have more wrinkles than just everybody spread out. One person just goes to the rim. I just don't think you can win a finals that way. I disagree with it. You disagree with that? Well, or you agree part, with that at least? No, I, I do. That's where we miss with Chris Paul though. That's the, that's the ginormous what if. Because you, he, Chris Paul is really the leader of, of that team. And I think, you know, him asserting his will and not permitting, you know, that 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 he wouldn't have stood for, um, you know, the the team just raining threes and raining threes and raining threes. I I honestly think that he would have, you know, used up some shot clock, gotten inside the free throw line, and tried to create some of those mid range jumpers that they find anathema with good reason for most of the season, but it was, you know, it was winning time. So you have to take what the defense is going to give you. And, and, uh, you know, that, that, that mid range stuff, working that into there. Now the, 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 the reason the Houston kept taking those shots is because they were open shots and that's what their offense produces. But I, you know, they needed to have a plan B and we needed to see the plan B and Chris Paul was the plan B. You're going to be very jealous of this next point. And I, by the way, I'm okay. not done reading Bayless tweets, but I just, I had this point on Chris Paul that <laughs> I think is a really important, crucial point and was missed by the national media. So they were very careful about protecting him this year. I think it's year 13 for him. You love basketball. You've been following basketball your whole life. What's the shelf life for point guards after year 12? What happens? They're done. That's it. It's over. Either they're done or you have to do the Utah, Jerry Sloan, John Stockton, manage the minutes to the point that you'll even throw away six minute stretches of a game. You will not waver from that minute thing, right? Utah. I always thought Jerry Sloan, this is one of the most brilliant things any coach did. He took John Stockton out at the same two points every game. It didn't matter if his backup point guard was your black sheep brother, Rich House. He didn't care. It was, it was, you're coming out for these seven minute stretches at these two points of the game. And that's just how we're doing this. Now, why did he do this? Well, he wanted to prolong John Stockton's career and make sure he kept him healthy. Well, what happened? John Stockton played for like 20 years. He was like the six foot two white guy version of Kareem. So Chris Paul, after they managed his minutes fairly well, um, the first few games, then here, here's what he did the last seven, 36.6 minutes. Hard minutes. It's too many minutes. Hard minutes. These are, these were the last seven games he played and he's, you know, he's in month nine of the season at that point. And D'Antoni cuts it down to the seven man rotation, I think in game four, which is what he had to do. Um, You got to win that game. It's a must win. You just got to. Game four, he plays 41 minutes, 41 and a half minutes in game four because there's seven-man rotation. Game five plays 38 minutes, gets hurt with two minutes left. 
the question is, is that a fluke? Or did they, was Chris Paul like the fast and furious race car that Vin Diesel, he's done the, done the Nas already and the things like fluttering on the nine on the RPMs. And he's just like, I got to win this race <laughs> and ends up get, getting Chris Paul hurt because I think it's the latter. I think they pushed him too far. I don't think that injury was a fluke. I don't think at all the miles he has on his body as a five foot 11 guy, um, I don't think he could hold up. And unfortunately, that's why they are not going to play for the title. Thoughts? I, I agree. And, so you and agree they with knew. me. I thought you would disagree with this. No, I, I, I agree with this. The, this is the way you get to this this point is with, with a, a managed um, plan because you're, you're, you know uh, your stated desire and goal for the season is to beat Golden State in the, in, in the playoffs and you anticipate that it's going to be a seven-game series in the playoffs. So you've managed Chris Paul throughout the season. You've given him rest appropriately. He was out for a stretch with this this ding or that 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 dong, yeah. <laughs> Whatever his various sort of Chris Paul injuries that occurred. So he didn't have a ton of mileage or a ton of minutes entering the playoffs. And I I, I agree wholeheartedly with the you know, idea of managing those minutes all the way through because the point is you're going to be playing seven games in this series with Golden State. You're not going to beat Golden State in, in six games. Nobody's done it. So yeah. you have to be prepared for, for, for seven. How are you prepared to ride? He is your horse. He's the horse. He's the, he's, he's the justify. He's the triple crown potential winner. You have to ri- have him available for game seven, anything that produces an outcome where he's not available for game seven is an institutional failure. That's my view. I agree with you. So Stockton, just because people are going to go back on basketball reference and be like, oh, oh, Stockton was playing 37 minutes a game in the mid nineties. This, this doesn't fly. It was easier to play basketball back then. The pace was way slower. Um, you did not have to chase out on threes. Nobody was shooting threes. A lot of the pound it, Pounded uh, basketball. There's more big guys, stuff like that. Stockton, the first few years of his career, he had like an 88. He played 43.5 minutes a game um, in the playoffs in the 11 games when they really went toe to toe with the Lakers. As that, as that kind of drifted to a different thing. In '96, he was 37.7. In '97, when they made the finals, he was 37 a game. In '98, because he was starting to wear down. They only played him 30 minutes a game when they made the finals the second time. They were super careful with them. And I would say 37 minutes a game in 1997 is the equivalent of 32 or 33 now. And the point is, they really took care of him. And Chris Paul is somebody who's had a lot of injuries and who has a lot of miles on him. You know, like if you go back, so he's played he's played 13 years. I'm looking at his uh, totals. 31,500 minutes. In the regular season, and then thirty four hundred in the playoffs, so he's over thirty five thousand minutes, which is just a dangerous number for point guards for whatever reason. I have no idea why point guards don't age as well, but they are a lot like running backs, right? Where you just the LeBron and the and Shaq and Will those guys just have different career trajectories. Duncan, Dirk, the bigger guys for some reason last longer. The point guards, I just don't see it. It's just something to worry about with your boy John Wallhouse. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right, let me give you a couple more Skip Bayless tweets and then we'll talk about the Caps. You ready? I'm ready. Um, first of all, he doubled down on his James Harden statement a little bit later. He said, James Harden is going to win this year's regular season MVP, but when the stakes are highest, you cannot trust him. He doesn't have that playoff it factor. More undisputed now at FS1. <laughs> so good. Here's another one. Uh, once again, the Maplethorpe of sports Twitter, Skip Bayless, just incredible. Performance artist. LeBron is a 12-point underdog in game one against the Warriors. His finals resume is about to take another hit, a sixth loss. More undisputed now at FS1. <laughs> Uh, oh god uh, how is undisputed doing is i i i I think it's doing well i think it's doing all right for what they are uh here's another one right after the game last night sorry about that lebron too bad about being three and six in nba finals you'll have as many losses as mj had wins without a loss (laughs) Start, man. I'd say the lightning's perfect on that one. He puts a little plant in the background. It's just great. It's that's it. Uh, And then there is one more I wanted you to read. Yeah, fuck it. I can't find it. Um, Yeah, that should. We should just have a podcast where we have famous actors read Skip Bayless tweets. It could be like the the sequel to Mean Tweets. Um, You you should have a podcast where you have Skip Bayless read his own tweets. That's good. I'll ask him. He's, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll float that out. Uh, we're going to take one more Come break. On. We're taking one more break. Let's talk about Grasshopper. If you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, or even if you have a side gig, like Kyle, I think nephew Kyle is bouncing at bars on the side. Like who, know, who knows what that dude's up to at night? I don't ask. Let me introduce you to Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Grasshopper lets you send and receive calls and texts from your new business phone number. Oh yeah. That's why that way you can run your business from anywhere. You can respond to clients quickly with Grasshopper's mobile app. You can keep track of all the stuff you've sent. It doesn't get mixed up with your other emails. Grasshopper's pretty cool. Here's how easy it is. All you have to do is sign up right now. You go to grasshopper.com/bs so it's g r a s s h o p p e r.com/bs my initials. And you get $20 off your first month and you can try it out and see if you like it. I promise you, you will. That is grasshopper.com slash BS. All right. Before we talk, uh, before we talk about the caps and the Stanley cup finals and the fact that your team is playing an expansion team, um, any last thoughts on the Celts? Cause we haven't talked about them on a podcast in a while. Can you want to give your 60 seconds? I love where the Celts are sitting. I hate it, you know, as an Eastern Conference uh, participant and and Washington has attempted to engender kind of a rivalry, you know, this little bit of chippiness with, with Boston. What's curious to me is there is a limitless number of directions Boston could go in, including the possibility of trading the always injured Kyrie Irving. What do you think Boston could get at this stage for, for Kyrie? 
coming back after, you know, a knee surgery. The curious thing to me is with all of the talent that Boston has accumulated and the assets that they have, we know that the, the, the true secret, I read this in, in a book called The Book of Basketball, yep. is, is chemistry. And what an interesting chemistry experiment with Hayward and, and uh, Kyrie coming back. Who's losing those minutes? And where does Marcus Smart fit into all of this? And how's Tatum going to get the touches, the alpha dog touches that he's become accustomed to over the course of this season? And where does Terry Rozier fit into all of this, if, if at all? It's a very interesting chemistry experiment. I'm not ready to crown their ass yet. I do agree with the idea that talent wise they pose a formidable challenge to LeBron and the Cavaliers but so much we've learned over the last two or three years so many things change over the course of the summer yeah the 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 rosters go through radical transformations and you can't even fathom who's going to become available under what circumstances it you, you have to wait until October really to have a view as to where any particular team sits what their composition is, who the coach is, before you can really have a view. But, I mean, in the East, Celts look good. Thanks, House. Is that appreciate, 60 seconds? Appreciate that. Yeah, that was good. Um, I don't know if Marcus comes back. It's, it's He's been very adamant, no hometown discount for me, sorry. So there's probably six teams with cap space that are ready to throw it at him. I think the most likely scenario is they do the qualifying offer for him, which never really works out. I, I can't remember a lot of happy NBA situations with that. Um, I think Rogier gets traded. And when you talk about minutes, you know, you're telling me that Hayward can't take 35 of the 39 Marcus Morris minutes I had to watch every playoff game. Oh my God. You're telling me Kyrie can't just take the Rogier slash smart minutes and they can't make up for it. To me, it's like, all the minutes can be evenly distributed in the most perfect way possible. And everyone's going to get to play and their crunch time is going to be Horford, Tatum, Brown, Hayward, Kyrie. And that's, just, that's the team. Um, there's no, not going to be a minute thing. You're going to have shooters. Their dream was always to have the interchangeable perimeter guys who could all score and shoot and defend. And they have it. I don't think Kyrie under any circumstances gets traded. I think, okay. I think, the more likely is this going to be the first season in four that he's healthy? Yeah, that I mean okay. that's the question is if he's not healthy again this next season, then you don't have to pay him forty million dollars a year because you can be like you're never healthy. So either way, I think that plays out kind of in their favor. I personally think I think he just had bad luck. They took out those screws and he had an infection. It wasn't like to me, like somebody like Boogie Cousins coming off an Achilles is a hundred times more risky. But um, I'm really it's interested. It's just the gamble with him. You need him healthy for the playoffs and you just don't know whether or not you're going to have that. I'm really interested in this draft and we could talk about this when it gets closer, but there's a combination of things going on that makes me wonder if they're going to trade into the top four. Um, In no particular order. It seems like Phoenix is going to take that center. The next three teams are wild cards to say the least. Sacramento at two, <laughs> Atlanta at three, and Memphis at four. And if Luka Doncic, if if he if he floats it out there, I'm not coming over. I may never come over. And he does whatever he needs to do because Memphis is sitting there at number four. 
Who loves trading away players more than Chris Wallace that might end up being superstars? Anybody? Chris um, Wallace is still wearing the ring that that uh, Pau, the Lakers gave him for Pau Gasol. Right. But there's a scenario where they could they could say, we'll trade you Terry Rozier. We'll trade you the top one protected Kings pick next year. We'll give you the Clippers pick that we have that's going to be somewhere between 15 and 20 next season. We'll even give you the Memphis unprotected pick we have um, that is like top top eight a year from now, top five, and then unprotected in 2021. We'll do all that stuff, Sacramento, if you give us the second pick. And then what do you do if you're Sacramento? My I would point take is, that in a heartbeat. My point is, if the Celtics believe Luka is a game-changing player, which I believe he is, they are the best equipped to move up and get him, if they wanted to. Now, they might just say, that's ah, a long game, we have all these picks, fuck it. But if they feel like this guy is a franchise game changer, that if you put him and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on the same team, we're set for the next 15 years of our lives. They might do that. I'm not, I, it can't okay. be ruled out. It's, so, it's part of the glorious uh, aspect of, of the, the summer season in, in the NBA. But I mean, they might be able to trade, they might be able to trade Rogier in that Kings pick to move at to any point in the top six. If they were just like, we want to cash that pick in now, we have a chance to win the title. And Rogier, I think has value now as, as a starting guard. And you look at like, he could start on Sacramento, uh, Atlanta, maybe not Memphis, definitely Dallas with Dennis Smith. I don't know. Orlando who needs a point guard more than them. Um, there's a way for them to move in. I don't know if they will, but you know, we've, how many jokes have we made about some of those teams over the last few years? Who's more likely to do something dumb than Sacramento, Memphis, or Orlando? Can you think of anyone? I, I, I just think it's very interesting. I can't wait to see. I know that, that the ringer folks are super high on Doncic and I've watched, you know, his Euro league, uh, highly highlights. I, I just want to see kind of that price that that market gets set as the draft approaches. And the, the, the week before, I want to see the Doncic market kind of get set, how, how folks are valuing him. Because it was, we, we had such a like, you know, groundbreaking uh, revision of the market, the Fultz market, you know, inside the final week of the draft, really, yeah. with that Celtic Sixers uh, uh, swap. That that's where I'm I'm interested in seeing exactly where these teams, you know, how they're feeling. I I'm I'm always skeptical of the Euro guys. I just I'm I'm you know mm. you, I, I've been on on record. I I called that poor kid Markinen. Uh, even though he played, he was uh, awesome. Uh, we in, were wrong. We we owe him an apology. He's, he's the marketer. He fine. He's good. He's fine. No, I mean, he's good. I called him the the Finnish Bargnani. He, <laughs> he may yet have that career, but uh, it was it was it wasn't as as kind. I I'm just skeptical of the Euro kids. That's all. Well, there's one other team that can move up, and we got to mention the Sixers because they have the tenth pick. They have Fultz. They have Sarich. They have a couple of dudes they've stashed away, and they could also move into the top three pretty easily. And if you're a team like Sacramento or Atlanta or Memphis that just needs, you know, you just need assets. You need uh, numbers. Yeah. You need numbers and you need assets. And if they called Sacramento and, and they were like, you know, we'll give you Fultz and Sarge and number 10 for the second pick. We'll overpay for it. I don't think they would do this, by the way. So don't, the Philly bloggers and all <laughs> those people, don't, don't lose your minds. <laughs> They're going to kill you. 
I'm just saying, you're filling your Boston who would potentially pay 130 cents on the dollar to go and move into that top three. Because we saw it last year with Philly. Philly paid more than the price for the first pick because they had the assets. It was stupid to move up when those three guys, who knew who was going to be the best player, they sacrificed this awesome Sacramento pick because they just became so enamored with Fultz and the thought of Simmons, Fultz, and Embiid playing together that they made a trade they shouldn't have made. And I think we could see that again this year. And by the way, it could be the Celtics. They could make a dumb trade here. They could do something they shouldn't do. I'm rooting for it. But this is the same team that four years, three years ago was trying to trade four first round picks, including the pick that ended up being the Jalen Brown pick for Justice Winslow. So Danny will move up if he becomes a neighbor with somebody. And if I have no idea, I haven't talked to anybody from there. They're not really allowed to talk about the prospects to even, Uh even whispers to people like me, but sure. But Luca, I think, imagine that. Imagine him on the Celtics. I, I'm well, that, way higher on him than you. Well, I, I'm higher on him if he lands in the right situation. If he lands in a situation where he's allowed to grow and he's going to be nurtured and you know learn the game without pressure because he's surrounded by uh, seasoned professionals and, and by a franchise that has an institutional soundness, then I really like his prospects. If he gets drafted by Sacramento, I think he's going to suck. That's my professional view. Okay. Uh, All right, Caps. So the Caps made the uh, Stanley Cup Finals for the first time since you were in law school. 97, 98. I was already out of law school. I was a season ticket holder for those Washington C-A-P-S. Caps, Caps, Caps. See, you beat the Penguins in a series. Nobody thought that was going to happen. You came back from 3-2 in the Eastern Finals. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Yes. Ovi, who um, is one of the best players of this generation, but goes back to the same hole. If he never made the finals, all of a sudden we have to talk about that for the rest of his career instead of how awesome yes. he was. Yes. Now that that monkey is off the back. Um, unfortunately, you're playing the stupid Vegas team that these idiot owners and the idiot commissioner decide to just grab the expansion money. It's just a pure money <laughs> they, grab. They grab it too. Six hundred million. It immediately made Vegas like the fourth or fifth most most uh, richest franchise in the league. Yeah, great, good move, everybody. And and then six hundred million uh, on top of it. Put no provisions in there to make sure that Vegas isn't. There's no way they're going to be good. They don't say, oh, first three years you only have eighty percent of a salary cap. None of that stuff. Uh, yeah, just. Just pick players from the other rosters and you'll suck for a couple years. And then Vegas is like, okay, cool. And just starts cherry picking these good guys. And um, even though at the time, nobody thought they were going to make a finals run, it is hockey and the dudes fucking skate around and weird shit happens every year. And now all of a sudden they're standing in your way for a Stanley Cup. This little Bettman wet dream money grab of a team is now up one nothing against your team in the Stanley Cup finals. Now I I do want to be fair. Okay. I want to be please. Li- they, they they do have revenue sharing in the NHL, and the the owners having the recent experience in the 2000 they let in Minnesota and Columbus, and it took a long time for those teams 
to get you know good enough to be competitive to to be putting asses in seats yep and for them to 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 turn themselves around from from takers to givers in terms of the revenue sharing and there are a lot of takers in the NHL i had to, I had to give a shout out to my boy uh, uh, Alex Shaw hockey agent Alex Shaw reps uh, old school James Van uh, Reemsdyke among other folks um had a chat with him just to make sure I was being fair to the owners. He, his point was they just can't have any more takers in terms of the revenue sharing. Okay. They needed an, 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 another team that, that, that could give. He says this season's probably going to be a record season in terms of revenue. And, uh, you know, the, the excitement of Vegas and the, the advantage that they had with, uh, an unknown but but um, untapped fan base, and they were immediately able to place fifteen thousand season tickets in in the run up. Yeah, gave everybody a lot of confidence. Now uh, they 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 obviously effed up. I mean, they n- nobody uh, imagined that Vegas would get this good this quickly. Part of the thing is Vegas gets all the dollars for this playoff run. All the owners keep the money in, in the playoffs. Yep. So you when your franchise is in, you keep that gate, you keep all that money that comes in. I I think that they uh upon reflection would have liked to have tightened the controls a little bit to not be sacrificing all these dollars that are going right to the bottom line for the Vegas folks. I have a controversial statement on this. This is one of my wacky theories. You know who is probably in charge of that process in retrospect, who was in the driver's seat with the negotiations? The league that was deciding whether they wanted to allow the expansion team to come in or not. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. It just seems like if you're Vegas, you're like, whatever, whatever it takes. Sure. Okay. And if, if they were like, Hey, one last thing, um, you only get 80% of a salary cap the first three years compared to everybody else. And then it'll even out. Vegas isn't like, no, that's a deal breaker. No, can't. I, I totally agree can't with you. Can't do that. You're right. Can't do it. They were coming in under whatever terms the ownership uh, dictated, whatever the league dictated. Here's, a, here's the circumstances under which you're allowed to join. And by the way, we want that $600 million in gold bullion. That then that they would have you know they were going to meet those terms. The league could have no been doubt. like the league could have been like you can't have Canadian players for the first four years. <laughs> you get to have a Canadian player in 2022, and Vegas would have been like, "Cool, can we can we make the announcement? Great, where do we sign?" So I, yeah, they look. It's classic Bettman because on the one hand, it actually worked out and it's great, and they tapped into this Vegas market which is clearly a much bigger, more burgeoning market than any of us yes. expected. Now the Raiders That's are going right. to go there. And FYI, the NBA fucking A is going to go there at some point. You don't think they're watching this? Um, so they so they were first in. You just have to shorten up the intro. Goodness gracious. Well, they so they planted the flag and Bettman gets congratulations on that. But meanwhile, fucked over the other 30 owners that he uh, is supposed to represent in well, a they really were all, profound way. They were all way. complicit in it. They they all went along with it, and I think the splitting up the sixty six hundred million each way, I think that helped the pain, that helped soothe the pain a little bit. These guys are so stupid. They're like, oh, we twenty million dollar check. Oh, ho, ho, ho. well, no, okay. To be fair, 
to be fair, the NHL owners are not the NFL owners. You're true. not talking 30 billionaires here, right? Yeah, true. But it's just like you have a team in Phoenix that just shouldn't exist and is is the eyesore of the entire league and just move that team to Vegas. No. But that that's the really interesting thing, right? It's an embarrassment. I think it's fair to question their expansion over the last, you know, 20, 25 years. Car- Carolina... Uh, is continuing to have a hard time with Gate. Atlanta lost its franchise. Miami they can't, you know. W- Miami, Mi- Mi- right? Miami's in trouble. Yeah. Man. Florida Panthers. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's a that's a fair criticism that there, there's probably more teams than necessary, and that's where that revenue share, that revenue share, the distaste for more takers. That's you know, all you guys look in the mirror. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and and think about the thesis. Where does Ovechkin? Where where is he in the hierarchy right now? Washington sports. A lot of there's a certain generation that has him number one. I had this conversation a couple years ago with the inimitable uh, DC sports bug uh, Danny Steinberg. Oh yeah, and there there is um, a sentiment. Now I'm old school, so like my hierarchy, my top five all time. Washington. Well, uh, I wasn't saying. Athletes. I wasn't saying all time. I was saying right now. Oh, he, he's 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 number one right now. I mean, he's he owns the town. So he's it's over Bryce. He's over Bryce. Sure, he's over Bryce. Bryce. Is, I, there's a sentiment here that that Bryce is already gone. Oh, I wow. know people that think that way. I I slightly think that way. So he's ahead of Bra- He's ahead of Bryce. He's ahead of Jan Mahimni. Who else? <laughs> Bryce, Alex Smith, uh, Jan Mahinmi, and maybe slightly ahead of Alex Smith. Just a hair ahead just of Alex hair. Smith. <laughs> wow. Ovi's town. Yeah. Unbelievable. So all time he's in the discussion now. Uh, he was, he's was. he been in the discussion. That's he's amazing been, you know, to me. Because the, the Washington doesn't have a long track record of um, guys at the very top of their sports. I mean, he's won the scoring title however many times in the 13 years he's been in the league. He has two or three MVPs. You know, that that's not, we don't have all-time players like that uh, here in Washington. Yeah, it's true. What a sad, well, even the Redskins, who's the, who's the best Redskin ever? I, I personally think it's between uh, Daryl Green and John Riggins, and I personally give it to to Riggins by a nudge, just because of yeah. uh, that that Super Bowl that they won against Miami. He made the iconic play, yeah, um, and he really owned the town in 1983. But look, I mean, I'm old, so that's why that's why I think that. God, that's a really sad sports history. You guys haven't done enough press on how tortured you, the DC fans are. Now you're going to lose to an expansion team in the cup finals, potentially. Who'd you That's lose to outrage, the other time? I'm not accepting it. Who'd you lose I, to in 98? I, I like the Caps. I like their, their chances in this thing. Who'd you lose to in 98? Detroit. And we were completely outclassed. Ah, that's I tough. mean, yeah. we never had a chance in, in that. I went to those games. Like I said, I had season tickets. Within the first two minutes of the first home game here in Washington, we were already in a 2-0 hole. We had a chance. We lost in overtime in the first game. But in the third game, the, the first first two minutes, Sergey Sergei Gonchar uh, made a, a disastrous turnover. And one of the, the Russian Detroit guys went down and immediately scored. And that was it. Series was over. I remember in 88, back when I really truly loved hockey, we made it to the finals and, uh, and played Edmonton and it was like, yeah, now we're going to fucking beat Edmonton. And then within, <laughs> within like five minutes, like, Oh my God, what's going on? 
Oh, yeah. Jesus. I did not. I don't have that feeling with this. We, we Vegas? Beat, uh, yeah, you can be Vegas. We can beat the Golden Knights. We just can't play the way we played last night. You, you're not going to outscore them. They're they're very skilled. And also, I think it was a little bit of a shock to the system for the Caps to play in Vegas under those circumstances. Like, the ice was kind of soft because it's hot as balls out there. Yeah. And the place is packed. And the pregame is like, it's a, like a nine-minute intro and Michael Buffer and all of it. I just think they were a little... They just played a freewheeling style. They can't win that way. They need to be physical. They need to assert their advantage physically. They let two guys just posting up inside, you know, the, the goal line uh, and and slapping a, a, away at rebounds and stuff. You can't win that way. So I think you're going to see a lot more physical Washington in game two. And I think we're going to see some penalties Hopefully, uh, you know, the cross check that led to, to the Vegas's fourth goal that tie the game and really like seize the momentum back. Hopefully that cross check gets called next time. The Golden Knights fans, they, it's almost like the 40 year old virgin with Steve Carell. <laughs> Where it's just like all of a sudden they're having sex. Like, Whoa, sex. Wow. Oh, sex is great. oh my lord. Thing. Whoa. And it's just they're just having sex for nine straight months with this awesome hockey team. And they have no idea what it's like to experience pain, trauma, uh, having your heart broken, any of this stuff. They're just getting all the good parts. It's amazing. I've never I've never seen anything like this. You these fans, they I mean, I'm sure there a lot of them are transplants, but you know, and have probably had other teams that they rooted for that hurt their feelings. But this is—I've just never seen a team waltz in like this. The Vegas Golden I, I Knights. Mean, credit, it's ridiculous. Credit to to the NHL for being the first movers on this. It was an untapped thing. You know, what's clear to me as we as we go through this podcast. You're being so nice to Batman in the NHL because you're clearly <laughs> hoping somebody offers you tickets for one of the Caps games. That's, that's a fact. That's yeah, a, I am sitting here dying to get invited to, to Saturday's first game you here in Washington. You should have defended Bettman more. Be like, look, Bill, we've known each other a long time. You've never been more wrong about anyone than this. <laughs> Gary Bettman is a good man. He made the league right $600 now. million. Gary dollars. Bettman is, is, is the best. We, we, he created this wonderful opportunity for, for, for this franchise in Las Vegas. What a home run. An all-time revenue season. Bettman. Get at me. I'm at house from D.C. <laughs> Gary, you're doing a great job. It's you, David Stern, and, and, Pete, Tag, uh, and uh, Pete Rosell as the three best commissioners of all time. I love your work. At house from D.C. Please email. Please tweet at me. Please, NHO. Uh, yeah, listen. You love hockey. I'm very happy for you. Uh, you haven't had a lot of happiness over the last 28 years. I'm amazed the Caps even made the uh, made the finals. Happy for you and Donnie Kwok and uh, Chubby Hubby and a bunch of our other friends. But uh, it would just be classic Caps and classic DC sports to lose to the Vegas expansion team in the Stanley Cup finals. It just feels right. I hope I'm not right, but it just feels very DC to me. I know I'm offending you. I'm right not going to dignify that. Yeah. Um, I am going to dignify eating three quarters of the menu at Momofuku tomorrow night, CCDC, <laughs> before I sit down and watch the Caps game. Though I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really dignify that. That'll be great. Uh, who do you have coming up on House of Carbs? APL, a.k.a. Adam Perry Lang? Coming yeah, up. Adam Perry Lang coming on. We're going to talk about his new restaurant in L.A. We're going to get some some summer grilling tips since he's the, the barbecue master. And, you know, he, he, did you know that he has a forge? He makes knives? I didn't know this. Oh, his knives thing is really, it's, it's, 
one of the crazier things of anyone I know. They have 250 knives I can't wait to ask there. him about it. Yeah, he goes, in, yeah. he goes in the dungeon of his new restaurant in LA and he sharpens the knives. Like, like Cannibal Lecter. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm, 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 I don't want to be on the wrong end of one of those, but I want to hear all about how, how it hit the thought process. The steak's amazing, apparently. I still haven't been. I will be there very soon, but the steak is amazing. The meat's amazing. And uh, LA certainly needed a place like that. So you got that. And then Shack House, you have... Uh, yeah. When's US We're Open? We're two weeks away from the, from the US Open. Uh, we'll be st- it's, it's time for us to start giving out picks. We're recording this coming Sunday, I think, right after the memorial. And so Shaq and I will have a taste in our mouths for a couple picks. I really like what I saw out of the defending U.S. Open champion, Brooks Kapka this week, mm. finished second to Justin Rose. He might be on my short list of guys to pay attention to. He really showed me something. What about my favorite golfer, Tommy Fleetwood? Uh, he's, he's, he's around, he's still inside, you know, he's having a, a, a continued, very good season. His, what he showed us last year at the U S open on a, on a course that nobody played, uh, before was, was interesting. I don't know if Shinnecock is his kind of place. Mm. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with, with Fleetwood. I'll pay attention to him. And Ty, and El Tigre. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, say no more. I think he's going to do better than he did at the Masters. Mm. I think he's going to um, wide fairways. I, 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 wide he, fairways. He's going to definitely make the cut. I want him to use the stinger. I really was inspired by what he did at the players. If we can replicate what he did at the players in terms of that game plan, I really like his chances. So let, root for that. Root for his driver to break what on would, his way, on the way to to Shinnecock. What would be the funniest Jim Nance tagline of Tiger making the game the the tournament winning putt? At Shinnecock. <laughs> I'm gonna think I'm gonna mull that over for the next next yeah, couple of days. Let's work on that one. We have two weeks. Tiger has whipped it out at Shinnecock. I don't know. There's <laughs> something something there. It's just sitting there. It's sitting yeah. there for all of us. Joe House, uh, enjoy the uh, House of Carbs and the Shack House podcast. And we will probably talk to you at some point during the finals. Stay tuned. I can't wait. All right. See you, buddy. Let's go, Cap. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much to uh to house. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Don't forget about Callaway. All I have to do is go to CallawayGolf.com. Check out the Rogue Clubs. They sent me some. They were awesome. And if you love uh, golf, check out the Shack House podcast with Joe House and Jeff Shackelford. Thanks to Grasshopper. Remember, they let you send and receive calls and texts from your new business phone number. That way you can run your business from anywhere, respond to clients quickly with Grasshopper's mobile apps. Grasshopper, sign up today. Go to grasshopper.com slash BS and get $20 off your first month. That is grasshopper.com slash BS. And thanks to HBO. Very excited for our new show, Courtside at the NBA Finals. Courtside at the Finals. Courtside at the NBA Finals. It's it's called Courtside. And then it's at the NBA Finals is the subhead. But yeah, it's going to be cool. I'm going to be at the entire Finals. And uh, I'm very excited to see how long this goes and what the words and calves are, ca- are capable of. We're probably going to have a, a finals preview that will run when we are in San Francisco, maybe Wednesday afternoon, maybe Thursday morning, who knows. But be ready for that one as well. And uh, until then, 